previously on Suspicion. By day two, he's looking at her as the suspect of the homicide. She's in the home. We can't put anybody else in the home, so it must be her. She had gone to see Mr. Lee's mother, whom I understood that she hardly ever went to see in the hospital. David and Raynella had signed wills. They were what they call mirror wills. In the case of one death, the other gets everything. today. I cried and cried. Yes, my dad trusted her. He believed in, you know, what she told him or what, what she said. He always would say, Nell now knows. David paranoid. Bad argument. Also, there was a diary, so to speak, that she had at the house that was found when the police were there, trying to set up and further the medical issues with Mr. Leaf. You know, we believe it was her leaving a trail in time. This diary is sort of a combination diary date book. But what's interesting is, is that in the diary, she's also tracking his blood pressure. Remember, we have a nurse here. Dave Hateful. Controlling. His way or no way. I cried. She was just tired of being married to him, and she was going to get a lot of money and property out of it. I'm tired of it and everything else. I feel like not being would be easier than trying. Not only did she kill David Leith, she tried to blame it on the third person, you know. That was part of their strategy. I mean, it upset me because to think that somebody would try to accuse you or say that you, know, you would do something like that to your father. My bad. Tomorrow is a new day. From the Knoxville News Sentinel and the USA Today Network, Tennessee, this is Suspicion. words come from a diary Raynella kept in the days leading up to her husband David's death. And like anything Raynella does, it's an ink blot. 
What you see and hear depend on what you believe about Raynella already. David Leith has been dead for nearly a week. Detectives have shot photos, dusted for prints, collected evidence, taken everything they're going to take from the house on Solway Road where they found David's body. The medical examiner has performed the autopsy. The ruling, homicide, isn't public knowledge yet. But David's daughter, Cindy Wilkerson, hasn't believed for a moment her father killed himself. I just didn't feel like my dad had done that, but I didn't know, you know, what what happened. Now it was time for the funeral. Cindy stopped at her grandmother's house to pick up clothes for David's mother, who had been in the hospital with cancer. Well, I knew she had a gun that was my papa's, but I didn't know, you know, where it was at. But she uh, opened that up in her underwear drawer and her, you know, it was there, the, the holster. And I said... The gun's gone. That's pa- that was Papa's holster. Where'd he keep his gun at? I don't know where that gun is from. Cindy knew the last person inside the house was Rainella on the day her dad died. I've never seen that gun in my whole life. Now, Cindy didn't call the police right away to tell them about the empty holster. I didn't know what to do. But what she found fit with the questions she was already asking. Maybe Sandy knows. Because as soon as her dad's body got to the funeral home from the medical examiner, it was cremated. Cindy said her dad didn't believe in cremation, but the funeral home said no, it was all taken care of, paid in advance by Raynella. She prepaid for both of their cremations. She made funeral arrangements for both of them. And she did it at the same time, and she did it in 2001. So she did it several years before this incident. This is Josh Hedrick, Raynella's lawyer at her last trial. When I say that, you know, everybody goes, what? What do you mean she prepaid for the cremation? What was she expecting? Was she expecting to need it, right, is sort of the reaction you get. I've never understood why it's significant that he gets cremated. I mean, it doesn't happen unless the medical examiner gives up the body. There was some testimony about uh, David being averse to cremation from a religious standpoint, Um, but there wasn't really ever anything that that tied that to a particular time. Those kind of beliefs, for some people, are not can change. That that people can change their mind about those things. That's not a proof that someone killed him. And Cindy didn't have proof. All she had were questions. My dad didn't have any enemies. After she calls Detective Moyers, who was investigating her dad's death, and turns over the holster to him, she had more questions. So did he. Because the gun that fired the three shots that killed David Leith fits that holster. I don't know. Where is that gun? You don't know if he owns a gun like that? I I never saw that gun before. Cindy and Raynella were not friends. They hadn't been close for several years. Mr. Leith's daughter and Raynella, uh, not at all. Not at all. Cindy and Raynella fell out after Raynella wanted to be named guardian for Cindy's kids. Cindy said no. To prosecutors like Cynthia Schimmel, that's no surprise. 
the thing about Ms. Leith is the fact that she is, she is domineering. Uh, you can see that in the way she does things. From what we understood, Cynthia viewed it as Raynella taking over her dad's life, her not letting her around as much, things of that nature. Cindy said she didn't tell her dad. She wanted him to be happy. And for a while after David and Raynella got married, it looked like they were. Raynella and David's mother, they called her nanny, didn't get along. But otherwise, things looked pretty good from the outside. You know, at first, I think it was uh, a doting, mutual, caring relationship. I mean, I was happy with it. She had three kids and, you know, he was used to, you know, doing what he wanted to do, working and because I was grown. And David walked Raynella's oldest daughter down the aisle at her wedding on the farm. Raynella's children and Cindy's called him Big Daddy. Cindy's kids called her Nell Nell. Sometimes David did too. Raynella was the boss, and he was fine with it. He always would say, Nell Nell knows. Cindy said she noticed them having arguments toward the end. Raynella would complain to her about it sometimes, but her dad kept quiet. No, he didn't talk about any of his stuff. But then comes the shooting. My dad wouldn't have done something like that. He was scared of guns. And the cremation. He cared too much about life. And the empty holster. When I mean, there was nobody else that it could have been. And then... The will. I give, devise, and bequeath there were wills drafted, I believe reciprocal wills. All of my remaining property that I may die possessed of. If he died, everything would go to Raynella. To my wife, Raynella Dossett Leith. And basically leave his daughter out. At least that's what Raynella said the will said because just like with everything else in this story, there's a problem. Nobody can find the will. Maybe you did do it. Maybe you savagely beat a 78-year-old man. Maybe police did get the right person. But you know what? To get you, they lied. And the witnesses lied. And stories changed. And so all that's left is for you to sit in prison year after year after year and say, but I did not do this. Is that justice? Look for season four of Murder on the Space Coast, where justice lies, on just about every major podcast platform. All Raynella had was a copy of the will kept by their lawyer, Charles Child. David kept the original in the sock drawer in the bedroom where he died. But now, it's not there. I think my chin is wallet lying around anywhere, anytime. If you feel good here, back. Raynella said it was simple. The police must have grabbed the will when they searched the bedroom that day. But Moyers and the other detectives say, Will? What will? We don't have any will. No reason we'd take that. Then Raynella said the police took the will and lost it. But Cindy learned that her dad was asking his own questions right before he died. At the time they were signed, I don't, it's our belief that he didn't understand what went on. But 
uh, he went back later by himself and spoke to the lawyer and found that out. From the lawyer, it's our understanding that he was very upset by that uh, and very upset that they had also done deeds to the land to, as to Miss Leith getting the land upon death too. The lawyer says David got emotional. He asked to meet one-on-one without Rainella in the room. He cried. He didn't ask to change the will, but he asked what he had to do if he changed his mind. The lawyer told David, you can come back to me or you can just tear the will up. So Cindy wondered, did her dad do just that? By that point, Cindy and Rainella were barely speaking at all. And you didn't have to be a detective to figure out it was going to get ugly. But Rainella wrote a letter to Cindy that said, Look, there's something you should know. I'm so very sad to have to write to you, but my lawyers and your lawyers have forced it to be this way. She said, I know we've had our differences, and I know what you think. For years, we shared the love and the difficulties of Nanny and the love of Dave. I am told you think I did not try my best to care for them and love them. I am sorry that you could even for one minute think that. She told Cindy, I adored your dad. He was my best friend. I loved him and appreciated the fact that he loved me and tried to help me enjoy life beyond just working all the time. We were partners, friends, buddies. The kind of togetherness and mutual protecting that few people find. And your dad made me promise not to tell, but... As our lawyers work things out, since that is the route you have chosen... I hope you will take advantage of my permission to review in detail Dave's medical situation that he asked me to keep private from even his family. And that medical situation, according to Raynella and David's doctor, was dementia. The doctor said it started in 2000 about three years before his death, when David started acting strange, tired, grouchy, not himself. A brain scan found a mini-stroke, a tiny blood vessel that had gotten blocked. January 19th, Dave hateful today. I cried and cried. He seemed to get better, but Rainella says he was never the same, and he started going downhill. January 22nd, David paranoid. Bad argument. She kept a diary about his condition, his blood pressure, how they got along. March 8, slurred speech, hateful, stayed in bed all day. And to Rainella's defenders, this explains everything. The arguments, the questions about the will, maybe even the suicide. We see in the medical records that when he's having an off day, he often feels persecuted and angry and confused. And we have a man who is seeing a neurologist for dementia symptoms. And, of course, we all know that that's, that, the, that loss of emotional control is not uncommon in, in dementia cases. 
the same argument that people said, you know, David was very against suicide. That's easy for you to say when you're a healthy 40-year-old man in the prime of life. It's different when you're staring down the barrel of advancing dementia and, and becoming useless, and, and you change your mind about things. And to prosecutors like Richard Fisher, Cynthia Schimmel, and Mac McCoyne, it explains everything, too. She was noting, and it hadn't been, she hadn't been doing this long, about his behavior on certain days, how he was. He was upset. He was very agitated. You know, things of that nature, which also was suspicious. Because during one of those visits to the doctor, David looked up and said, help me. And he just babbled, my thing, my wife is trying, and it's written in the nurse's notes. My wife is trying to kill me. While in one of those intervals where she had him in the hospital a couple of times before he died. Mm-hmm. Set on the stage. I think it was all part of the staging to show that he was had some dementia and he was not normal, and then he obviously killed himself with three shots. This diary and these letters, the one to Cindy and a couple of others to the doctors and nurses who treated David, they're in Raynella's own handwriting. And if you read them one way, they read like the words of a heartbroken widow who can't understand why people are accusing her. She's lost a son, two husbands, now maybe a stepdaughter and two would-be grandchildren. As you can see by the copy of the included letter to Dave's daughter, such a bad situation has got worse. To have her feel as she seemingly does means I have lost three more people all at once. My heart is sad. I feel so sorry. But if you read with a prosecutor's eye, you can't help but wonder, is she overdoing it? Please accept this little note as a hug to each of you who may have made my Dave's life more comfortable or less frightening, especially during this last year and a half. We are trying to let the Lord carry the heavy end of the cross these days, but the aloneness is something with which we have to continue to struggle. Thank you again, and may God bless. Raynella. Cindy didn't buy it. She said she never saw any of this behavior from her dad that Raynella and the doctors are talking about. And the doctor said, well, no, we don't know for sure whether he had Alzheimer's or some other brain condition. Only an autopsy could prove that. The police were still investigating. Reporters like Jim Ballack were still calling. She was very displeased with the way it was going. Knox County District Attorney General Randy Nichols, the one who took over for Raynella's first husband, Ed Dossett, stepped out of the case. Another DA from another smaller district, the 10th Judicial District based in Cleveland, Tennessee, about 90 miles south of Knoxville, took over. But he was busy. His assistants were busy. The case was complicated. Lawyers in the DA's office came and went, and the case was passed from desk to desk. Then it got reassigned again and again and again. And it wasn't that county's case, so it wouldn't have a priority. They would probably be more inclined to use their resources to deal with their own homicides. There was still no arrest and still no will. So finally, in 2006, three years after David's death, Raynella came to probate court and asked the judge to declare her copy of David's will official and give her everything. Cindy fought back. Finally, 
what she thought would help get the ball rolling. She filed a civil suit, and she went to a number of attorneys in town, she told me, who wouldn't touch it. And she Why? Filed, Why wouldn't they touch it? Well, probably because of the people involved. Some of them may have been friends with Raynella, some friends with uh, with Ed. It had the potential to be a toxic case for, to take on. Finally, she found one. That lawyer, James McDonald, specializes in wills and estate law. He filed a lawsuit that said not only is Raynella's copy of the will bogus, and not only should Cindy inherit the Leith farm, but Raynella had no right to David's estate because she killed him. The petitioner comes into court with the most unclean of hands, which should bar her from having anything to do with the estate of her victim. What they filed was not a wrongful death lawsuit per se. They filed a lawsuit under a Tennessee law that prohibits anyone from profiting from a death that that person has caused. So that would have thrown the whole estate business into up for grabs, I guess. It's, it's very similar to the laws in, in, in other states. It, it, if, you know, if you murder someone in a big-name crime, you go to jail. You can't write a book about it and, and collect the money. You can't, you can't have any of it. And in this case, the allegation was that Raynella was profiting, if you will, because she was getting everything the estate, uh, yeah. His, in the estate. Yeah, the, 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 the allegation in, was, was that Raynella shot him and killed him in the civil lawsuit. This law, known as the Slayer's Rule, almost never comes up in any court case. And this lawsuit was the first time that anyone came out and accused Raynella of killing anyone. It took everybody by surprise. And then Raynella and her lawyer responded and said, No way. I did not kill David. You did. Raynella said, no, it was Cindy Wilkerson who shot him and killed him. Quite a turn of events. I don't believe that was ever taken completely seriously because uh, Cindy herself had, a, had an alibi. She was at the shop that day. Yeah, she tried to reverse it and say that, that I did it. Did it make you mad, though? I mean, was it upset? I mean, it upset me because to think that somebody would try to accuse you or say that, you know, you, you would do something like that to your father. Raynella's lawyer tried to get Cindy's challenge thrown out of court. But the judge said no. You two definitely have a dispute, so let's settle it. It, it does seem odd that, you know, that will that was a source of emotional visit to see one's lawyer that, you know, 45 days later it can't be found. While Cindy and Raynella fought over the will, things changed in the 10th District. A new DA was elected, Steve Bebb. He was a former judge, and he liked attention. Cindy wrote Bebb a letter asking him to take a fresh look at her dad's case. He agreed to meet with Cindy. It had really languished for several years and not gone anywhere. And when he came in, he was very interested in it because it languished. So Bebb pulled together a new team of prosecutors. Fisher, McCoy, and Schimmel. And they got to work. And he made it a priority. He said, this case is in our lap. I'm serious. He assigned a team of his prosecutors, and they brought the case forward. 
back in Knox County, things were moving forward too. It was November of 2006, and Cindy and Raynella came to court for a kind of mini-trial. Not so much over who killed David, but over the will. And this was the only time Raynella ever took the witness stand. She tried to refuse to testify, but it wasn't a criminal case. There was no Fifth Amendment right not to incriminate herself, even though detectives came to court to take notes on what she said. We don't have audio of that testimony, but we have a transcript. Dave was a proud man, and it was my job to take care of him so he wouldn't be embarrassed. I was his primary and only caretaker. I want to answer you. Just ask me the question. Lick your pen. Are you ready? I'd never met the woman over the years, heard lots of interesting stories about her that uh, she was a force to be reckoned with according to any number of different people. I do remember in the course of the chancery trial that I asked a series of questions, kind of got to the punchline as it were and said, and Ms. Leith, you understood that the only way for you to wind up with all the real estate was for David to die first. And her answer was, yes, she understood that. She stuck to her story. David had dementia. He didn't want anybody to know. He was forgetful and losing things. Maybe he lost the will. David was concerned. He wanted to be sure that will took care of me. He'd had some bad feelings towards Cindy, and he was concerned about her spending habits. Cindy and David's friends testified, too. They all said he was fine, right up until the day he died. One of them even says Raynella asked him on the day David died to sneak in the house and get the will for her. That very night when he called to express his sympathy that, and asked if there's anything he could do, and he said Raynella told him, you can go down and get the will for me if you would, and he thought that if he couldn't believe that, you know, this is the day of David's death, that he's committed suicide. That's what everybody was being told. And right now, I want me to go get the will the day he's dead. The judge said he would review everything and rule on the will. But before he could rule, the case took another turn. This woman is not guilty of killing her beloved David. A grand jury charged Raynella Dossett Leith with first-degree murder. And the death in the cow pasture got a second look. On the next episode of Suspicion. The Leith case has gained widespread national and local media coverage. Raynella averts her cold, blue eyes as she passes rows of TV cameras lining the hallway outside the courtroom. The state was kind of stuck, right? Because neither of their two theories makes a lot of sense. And if you believe someone is trying to kill you, and they do kill you, it's not really paranoia, is it? Wouldn't be. This episode of Suspicion is written by Matt Lakin and narrated by me, Courtney Roark. It is produced by John Garcia, Erica Whitney, and Angela Gosnell.
Original theme music by Elijah Newman. Letters and transcripts for this episode were read by Donna Colburn and Tim Dinwiddie. Original theme music by Elijah Newman and Chris Potosik. Sound engineered by Elijah Newman. You can subscribe to Suspicion wherever you typically listen to podcasts. Be sure to rate and leave a review as well. You can also keep up to date with us on social media. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at SuspicionPod.